Welcome to Mothering, a podcast that explores Indian mothering through true stories. I am Veena Hari, a mental health professional, a feminist, a mother, and founder of Bhavati Foundation, a not-for-profit that works on reproductive mental health. There are so many things I wish someone told me before I became a mother. But the true mothering stories of Indian women are rare and hard to find. This podcast hopes to bring these stories together. We ask some uncomfortable questions about the way things are around mothering today and find some unexpected answers to the rich and varied lived experiences of our guests. So grab a steaming cup of your favorite beverage and get comfortable for this heart-to-heart to find all joy and some tears in these true stories. I hope you find the story you need to hear. Breastfeeding can make you orgasmic. There are about 33 to 50% of mothers who describe breastfeeding as erotic, showing that these feelings are completely normal and common. In today's episode, Pleasurehood, we talk to Aparupa, a lawyer turned sexuality educator, about two seemingly antithetical areas motherhood and pleasure. We begin by talking about the calling in and calling out culture and discuss what it means to be a bad feminist. We discuss the complex nature of mother-daughter relationships and explore non-normative ways of sexuality and relationships. This has hands down been my favorite episode to record because Aparupa is amazing. <laughs> the thoughtful way in which she responds to my questions and asks me some as well is such a delight through and through. She shares her personal narrative and most importantly for those listening, she shares very concrete steps to practicing pleasure in your own lives. You see, we don't take pleasure lightly. I hope you enjoy this episode. So, welcome to our podcast, Aparupa. So thrilled to have you here. And also, finally, so thrilled to have it happen. uh, Because I know it's been a little bit of a... uh, uh, reschedule, reschedule and kind of, you know, coming back. But I'm so glad to have you here. I always tell myself and also tell my guests when it's been a little bit of a challenge that the more the number of obstacles, the more I feel like it's going to be really interesting, this conversation. And this one has been such a one I've been looking forward to, okay, uh, primarily because, you know, I follow your work and, you know, this entire topic is very interesting for me. So without much ado, I'll give uh, the audience is a very brief about you and then kind of give it <laughs> up to you. But yeah, welcome here. Thank you so much, Veena. I'm super excited myself. <laughs> so for everyone listening, Aburupa is basically a lawyer turned sexuality educator. She's also a posh trainer and a neuroqueer affirmative practitioner. Uh, they've been researching and creating modules and teaching rights-based CSE workshops for young people between the age groups of 6 and 25 years. Uh, they also have a very interesting social media page, uh, and I would uh, add that in the show notes for everyone else to kind of look at. She's also the founder of a very interesting uh, initiative called Bibliotherapy, which is a safe space for healing through reading and psychoeducation. Uh, she works basically in the intersections of gender, sexuality, safety, body neutrality, and identity, and their interplay with mental health and social justice. 
<laughs> so welcome uh, to our episode anything that you want to add that i have missed out please please feel free no i think it also um, i mean one thing that i really identify as is a bad feminist or like a feminist in progress um, i don't want to put the kind of pressure on myself or on any other person to be a perfect feminist i think we're all like learning and navigating life uh, so yeah so i think i'm also a bad feminist <laughs> <laughs> i love that i think uh, i can relate to that so much because i'm also a work in progress feminist the thing that's that i'm working on very much uh, is the pronouns to be honest it's very it can get tricky for me sometimes i'm making an effort i completely understand why and you know so there's no doubt about the rationale of it or you know the logic of it it's just that probably uh, the practice of it is still taking some time i'm still kind of exploring what that is about but that's first the as soon as you say bad feminist i think that's the first thing that comes to my mind that you know uh, definitely is something that i <laughs> struggle with myself <laughs> Yeah no absolutely Veena and I think like as feminists we've just got to keep trying um and I don't necessarily subscribe to the call out culture uh, at all in fact like I believe in calling in because I've also made mistakes I've also been called in and that's how like I've gotten a bit better than I was hopefully um so yeah uh, thank you so much for also like being vulnerable in this space and saying that there are things you struggle with yeah absolutely okay so uh that's pretty much my first question i always begin with that <laughs> and i think you started us off in a very uh, good note that you know uh, and i think that's a very um, important perspective to bring in because whenever i also hear especially younger people talk about uh, being a feminist there's always that uh, but i don't know everything and you know there's almost like a, okay don't don't like begin to you know uh, start at it but i think that's very interesting and like you mentioned the call in and the call out culture if you can for someone listening who's hearing this for the first time what what would you how would you describe that uh, what is right. it about uh, sure sure we uh, we now i think like so the call out culture is essentially like uh, you know social media bullying and social media doxing and social media like is essentially like uh, really holding a person responsible for every single word that they might have uttered or any small thing that they might have done it's not all bad right like let's say a me too also comes from your call out like it's also a part of the call out culture wherein um like failing the formal methods of justice uh folks are actually like resorting to other ways in which they can hold people accountable uh but like the way call out culture has now become toxic and has now become detrimental and is not really serving anyone it's not really serving uh, the survivors it's not really serving the respondents the harm doers so i mean it's it's not really benefiting anybody and the call in culture would be and and call out culture also like goes as far as to like even if you were to like for instance say that you are someone who struggles with pronouns right and and you are working on it and while you really understand the importance of it and there's no like debate about that it's something that you struggle with there's no there, there's no space for one to admit that or for one to make let's say a mistake and then like correct course correct um 
Whereas like call-in culture would be more to like invite people into the conversation, holding them accountable, of course, because we're not, we're not saying that like people should just be allowed to make uh, mistakes at the cost of other people's health and well-being, but, but at the same time to also uh, understand the humanness of, of, of that and to um, invite them into the conversation while holding them accountable um, would, would, be the, would be the difference between the two. I mean, I, I've spoken very like, vehemently against call-out culture, but it, I mean, it's not all bad. Like it does have, um, you know, feminist and social justice roots. Like I said, the Me Too movement, for instance. Um, but I mean, the way it's sort of, uh, you know, morphed, what it's morphed into. Um, and, and like, that's the uh, struggle with movements and that's the struggle with structures as well, right? Like it's, it's often, it might be with an intention, but it also becomes something when people start responding to it um, as well. So yeah, so that's uh, my tuppings on what colonist call-out cultures are. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You kind of uh, brought it up so clearly and so, you know, uh, absolutely. And I would add one layer to this. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, bringing in, I always draw from experience because I feel like that's the biggest um, classroom, right, for us. Uh, we learn mm -hmm. in it. Uh, uh, like I read somewhere, we learn feminism through our bodies, right? Not really through textbooks, right? It's our experience and what we go through uh, that teaches us feminism. So uh, one of the things that I um, comes up for me is that there's also this added layer of being a mental health professional, for example. And I'm sure you have some uh, similar strain of, you know, being a sexuality educator, being in the intersection of uh, the work that you do, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. that as being like an added pressure, almost because uh, it's almost yeah. like you cannot you of all people cannot <laughs> you know make this right. kind of error and um, I think I feel very strongly about that because uh, as an individual again like you said completely understand uh, uh, the need for it and wherever possible wherever I'm pointed out where it's important I accept and you know uh, take that into account but what sometimes does happen is that the pressure I feel uh, mm. to not be taken the wrong way may actually hold me back from talking about an issue which we're still figuring out what is the feminist take on. Mm -hmm. There are some things which are at the intersection and there is no one take on it, right? So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, if that's something you've experienced, but that's something that I've experienced that, you know, it ends up putting me uh, in the space of, okay, unless I've a completed, well-formed, articulated idea, yeah. let me not yeah. speak at all. And sometimes I feel that's to my detriment because talking yeah. about it is how your ideas actually mature. Correct, correct. Yeah. No, and I think it's also deeply ableist to say that you need to have this uh, perfectly articulate, you need to know the right, I mean, language policing can also be very casteist in our context, right? Um, so, I mean, while yes, we must weigh and measure our words, and, and I, I also don't think there's any harm in like people with privileges, for instance, walking on eggshells at times as well, because we're so afraid that we don't want to offend uh, anyone, and that's fine. But at the same time, like you said, we should, there should also be space for us to be able to express twice thoughts, right? For us to like also have like a half-formed idea and present it to other feminists, have it critiqued, um, you know, discuss and converse. And you're absolutely right in saying that that's how we grow in our ideology and practice as well. Um, so, you no, know, fully resonating with uh, with what you're saying. And uh, definitely, and, and, and as someone like, I mean, I used to be very, very 
uh, pro cancel culture as well like i mean i i was someone who definitely believed that like personal canceling of people you don't always have to view everything um, you know from a very restorative justice lens if you had a personal experience or if something is triggering for you it's okay for you to like remove that thing from your life um and and that that's still something you know a person can make that choice for themselves but at the same time to demand this sort of uh you know mob justice in that sense mm-hmm. uh, and that's basically what it is when you, you might be doing it online but you're you're basically trying to bully the person who's bullied right and i don't know if that really serves um again from a restorative justice lens uh, at all and who does it benefit are we really putting the survivor in the center um in 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 that process and is that really feminist uh, is something that yeah one should explore yeah i think that's that's so true and this is something that you know i always um am very aware of and i try to kind of bring into the conversation whatever whichever intersection working on is of course you know uh, building that in uh and i think uh, like you said the calling in versus the calling out is basically the difference here uh i don't feel like there has been a single experience where i've been called in to be very honest mm. mostly been called out mostly been you know uh oh but you're a therapist you know and that as an added you know outside of the other right now if it was connecting to me not being able to see a point of view because maybe you know identity like you mentioned maybe where i'm placed in the cast i would still be like okay maybe you're you know not i'm i'm not sure about this so i don't know it's just like you can see even when i talk about it now it kind of puts me almost you know uh, in a little bit of a stress response and i'm like okay this is like really uh, tricky but yeah um, thanks for bringing some up some of it and summing it up a little bit more for me mm-hmm. yeah um, and and vina i think it's also um so important for us to be able to engage with points of view that don't necessarily align with ours right and i mean i'm not saying this that one needs to do this at the cost of their safety and comfort but like space for dissent um i mean should exist and also space for learning should exist uh so i'm glad that like through your conversations you're trying to normalize that and you're trying to also um invite that kind of intersections of let's say like you know personal well-being communal well community well-being and also um, you know feminism within whatever practice that a, that a person embodies right right and um, uh, that takes me to the next question as well that how do you bring in your feminist identity or any other identity that you may hold into your practice as a sexuality educator how does it come in how does it inform your work and how do you try to keep uh, tie tying these two in yeah um vina i love this question because um often like the way that people perceive sexuality education is that if it's comprehensive then it must not be age appropriate right and it must not it must be against our culture it must be uh, corrupting people so if it's comprehensive then it is it is that way and if it is in alignment with our culture if it is age appropriate if it is in fact you know not disrespectful of anybody's like personal beliefs then it must mean that it is not comprehensive so there's this sort of um like idea that exists or perception that exists when it comes to uh, sexuality education but when you view it from a rights based perspective when you understand that all of us like have an inherent right 
to knowledge about um, our own bodies in and and knowledge that meets us where we're at right like whatever our learning level might be um, you know whatever our understanding level might be whatever our cultural context might be whatever our religious context might be so knowledge that meets us at that space um, that is that is empowering for us from that space and also like skills and and then resources and services right so you you if you're viewing it from that lens then it has to be intersectional it has to be feminist like there's there's no two ways about it if it's rights rights based then it has to be intersectional feminist and and if it is in fact you know rights based then it also has to be pleasure affirmative and pleasure centric so um it can't just be from this notion of like let's say abuse prevention it can't just be from this notion of like reproduction um or, you know i mean yes all these things are also uh, a part of you know comprehensive sexuality education but it it's more than that it's also about like how a person um experiences and relates with the world relates with their own body relates with other people's bodies really uh, you know relates with people in 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 the sense of relationships in the sense of like connections that they form um right and and also like being aware of like the body mind connection being aware of like what triggers and glimmers are coming up for us uh, so so i mean it 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 also has to be mental health affirmative in that sense so um i mean the uh, my my uh, identity as you know a queer feminist and intersectional feminist who's also like i said not really great is learning uh, about about her own feminism um i think it it definitely informs my my practice as a as a sexuality educator as well and i think like one very important thing that it does for me is it keeps me on my toes and it also makes me reflexive uh it allows for me to make mistakes it allows for me to like you know sit in front of like i mean now sit but previously stand uh in a zoom session um you know in front of 200 people and like actually have someone say that hey i think you you got this wrong and allowing for myself to say okay yeah actually i did get it wrong um let let me course correct or to even say i don't know the answer to that question and i don't need to know the answer to uh, all questions but like hey can we also create a space of like conversation and curiosity um yeah i think in those ways it it informs my um you know practice and and like like i said um it, it also like helps me um you know seek mentorship it also helps me like speak with other practitioners uh you know cross disciplinary collaborations like we are doing right now um and and allow allows me to like learn from people of like various identities who may not necessarily be deemed experts in the uh, traditional sense of right who come from lived experience and who bring that uh, perspective which you know uh, absolutely absolutely uh, that's so lovely and i have a kind of a question that's you know and you can tell me if you uh, have had that experience so i've had a few years of um, being a sexuality educator myself and i used to work with certain mostly children uh, and <clears throat> one question that would come up for me very frequently uh, is how do you relate or bring in and you know of course it was not part of the what i used to be talking about but you know you have these questions and often often religion comes into the conversation right mm-hmm. and here you are uh, in many ways speaking especially when you're speaking to school aged adolescent children and they genuinely come with well what you're saying makes i get it uh, but here is what i am also being told and how do these both um, 
coexist. Uh, so have you had that experience? How do you navigate that? Just interested, you know, because I think that has been one of the hardest bits of that uh, piece for me. And, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, just curious. No, absolutely not just religion, but also the law. There exists a law called POXO in our country, right? Like protection of children against sexual offenses, um, which disallows for us to even engage in conversations uh, like this. It it also like, um, you know, uh, penalizes healthy sexual exploration among adolescents. So on the one hand, you talk about bodily autonomy, you talk about like, um, that sort of like what healthy relationships with oneself and with others can look like. And on the other hand, you say that if you were to like even consider all these factors, you would still be committing, um, you know, an unlawful act. So absolutely like, you know, the, the, the sort of interplay of religion, the interplay of like legalities and, you know, young people and their sexuality is, is, is very complicated. And I, I have still not been able to arrive at like, how does one answer that question, right? And I think something that I am um, currently exploring is how does one make sense of this dissonance? This dissonance that also exists in our context, like you and I are having this conversation and it's so meaningful to us. And we're, we're uh, you know, really feeding off each other's energies and getting so much validation out of this. But I'll also say that, you know, I, I would still like dress up in a certain way when I would be going out by myself at a certain time, you know, in the night, and I would feel insecure, I would feel like I need to, um, you know, cover myself up or call a friend or have a pepper spray in my bag, right? Like, so the kind of dissonance, dissonance that exists is, is so real. And um, I think like what I can offer to young people is also like a, you know, an understanding and empathy and also to talk about how, and, and I hate, I also hate like how a lot of folks, uh, you know, end up telling, and, and maybe like that's, that's the right approach. I don't know, but like uh, they end up telling young people that, oh, your generation will be the generation that will change all this. That's like an unfair burden to put on anyone. Um, you know, and especially young people you're telling, like you're telling them, oh yeah, yeah, it's unfair, but you will change um all this in the world i mean saying that you will change the world and then saying that like you know you are responsible for changing the world that are two different things so uh yeah i think like this is this is a very um important uh you know dilemma that you've brought up that all practitioners sort of experience yeah thank you so much i mean it's absolutely i can so um feel what you're talking about and it's been such a you know uh, thing for me as well that you know how do you uh, exist in this space uh, often when there is such obvious dissonance right not just like you pointed out absolutely law um, religion um, also taking it from uh, things like personal beliefs right and some of it which may or may not be um, relevant to even the conversation uh, yeah. and the example that comes to my mind is uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm more about the specifics and the real kind of, you know, incidents, but it kind of comes back to asking questions about your personal choices. Mm-hmm. You know, now into that conversation, it's not relevant. Of course, you deflect it, you don't answer it. But that question remains with you that, you know, how is this being, uh, you know, one thing is what you're talking about. But like we always say, it's not just what you're saying, but it's also what you're modeling and who you are and how you're placed uh, in this entire system that speaks so much, uh, right? And that always also was to be one thing that would stay with me and kind of, you know, uh, I would carry with me. 
Yeah, absolutely, Veena. Thank you for uh, bringing that up, especially that piece about like it's not just what one says; it's also what we what we model, and and that is so important. Um, you know, at, at this point, I also want to like bring up the concept of gender judo, right? And like the the gendered nature of of some of these conversations that we have with young people, or even with ourselves. Like even like my experience as a woman does inform uh, you know certain biases that may show up in my practice. Um, like I mean, uh, someone recently pointed out to me as to how like you know this this uh, whole conversation around toxic masculinity, especially with young boys, uh, like how it can make them feel very defensive. Like it'll be very it is very difficult for them to view themselves as a perpetrator, especially like when they themselves have not. Um, you know, maybe they've done better than like the previous generation, right? And like, how does one how does one navigate that, right? Like, because you are working with people of all genders, so your it will show up invariably. So I think like the reflexivity um, that I that I previously mentioned as well is so crucial. Um, and um, yeah, uh, that's that's sort of my take on this. Yeah, thank you for that. I know I'm asking these questions. These are like honestly not even. Uh, I don't even know if there are answers. I think there are just you know learning points, milestones, and you know yeah, you know here is where I see this at, and that's what's important to me because from my vantage point, it may look a certain way from yours, you know, and then you kind of try to put together a complete you know view of what the situation is really like. Right. So, uh, kind of going also now into uh, what was your earliest understanding of motherhood as a child? Uh, what did it mean to you? What does the word mother even bring to your mind? Yeah. No. Uh, uh, I think like when you had sent me the list of questions, this is a this was a question that I was. Uh, it's really like it really got me thinking because I I never really reflected on my. um experience of motherhood right like all of us have experienced motherhood whether like with mums or we have mums or we know mums or you know whatever that looks like or we have people who are maternal in our lives um or be like you know sometimes they say the role of like being maternal i think like my um experience of motherhood has been really interesting it has been um, you know it has ranged from really detesting certain things that my mom has said or uh, you know not really agreeing or not really understanding um, where she is coming from to like a space of really deep empathy and connection um with my mother and i think uh, something that i say is like as much as parents raise children children also raise parents and you know they also like uh, inform the kind of like um, fathers or mothers or parents that one one becomes uh, and grows into um and and also like it's such a dynamic thing right like the uh, like i was saying my relationship by, with my mother has been so dynamic and my uh, therefore connection with motherhood has been so dynamic and um also like because i'm i'm the uh, elder sibling and uh, i have a brother and i have a trans brother which which also like means that um in, in a sense where like my family has not been like my parents have not been the most forthcoming or they've not been the most accepting um it, it's also meant like an additional i mean not responsibility is the wrong word but like an additional like layer of that relationship uh, that i that i share with my uh brother as well and and like which he returns uh, to me as well right like i mean his relationship with me is also that of a parent because he really sees me um you know for for who i am um i think like uh that that has sort of been like my 
complicated uh, relationship with with motherhood um i've also like found myself being very jealous of moms like you uh, veena for instance i remember in one of our conversations like you know you you spoke like so proudly of uh, your identity as 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 a mom and like how that is uh, you know how 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 that uh, is such an important part uh, of your identity and how that is but that is not the whole and soul of your identity there is a lot more to you but there is also this very crucial part of you um and and the and the way that you look at like mothering um as well right like so i've also felt jealous i've also felt really grateful when i've seen you know uh, moms who i mean i'm sure have like are victims of patriarchy themselves and like the kind of uh, you know i mean everything said and done my mother is like my biggest cheerleader and you know she's been extremely uh, kind and she's been really trying to learn um, you know the way i see the world um and um, which, which is also like encouraged me as i grow older to see the world like at least be curious about what is it that she sees in the world right so i've also been really grateful when i've seen mums who ha- who have that kind of a relationship like uh, with their uh, offspring where they they often criticize and they often like um so, sort of that intergenerational trauma which is being passed on um so so i think yeah i think it's not really like this whole idea that motherhood is beautiful motherhood is magical i'm sure it is all those things but it's also really ugly and it's also really messy and it's when we are able to confront uh, you know relationships and their ugliness and messiness and you know find ways of connection and find pockets of connection with each other is is when we are like truly like practicing that relationship right else there else it's just like a relation that exists among uh to people on paper um so so yeah so that's sort of my i, I don't know if that really answered your questions but no absolutely um, yeah. answered it beautifully um uh, and you know i'm going to take off from a couple of things that you mentioned uh one is that it's so important right that is this intergenerational trauma and this history of complicated especially mother daughter mm-hmm. relationships right mm-hmm. i think that's a piece that we don't talk about often enough um now it's kind of coming up in fact there's a really uh, beautiful book that was written i think last year called a girl in white cotton um i'll also connect but it basically talks about you know there is a lot of this idea of it's very sacred to talk about your parents in a certain way hence there's a lot of pressure also you know to not uh if you criticize them it's taken as being ungrateful and this is a theme that i work with very frequently in the work that we do that they both can uh, it can be both not be. so you can criticize and you can still be grateful and these can coexist you know you don't have to have one or the other it's not necessarily like that uh i really kind of i'm glad you bring that up um also i think like any part of your identity it's something like you said the dynamism of it like it's not just uh the parent that you know creates a child is the child that creates i think that's so beautiful absolutely that hits the core of you know what the relationship is all about and what keeps that relationship where it is right and even now it's uh, i i i remember this even when my son was just learning to toddle Uh, i remember this entire evening where i followed him around a wedding uh, this is pre pandemic <laughs> times when we lived in a different world but followed him around and just 
see trying to see the world from his point of view where every stranger is approachable uh, everything is askable you can ask for what you want and he would just receive so much of you know of course it's a baby so everyone smiles everyone's you know warm and just to see that also fills you with so much energy and so much hope and so much you know uh, possibility right and it's just one of those things and i think that's uh, you know something that they have for the age that they're at you know our creativity keeps going down as we grow older and you know that's something that i keep going back to and i think that's so true and so important that you continue to try to see it from their point of view and as it gets more complicated as well um also want to bring in my mom over here because i think that's such a important relationship and i can relate to that so much and as cliched as it sounds becoming a mother has made me grateful for my mother in ways that i could not have been before i could not have been you know and it's cliched also because um i think my mom has told me this all of my life <laughs> it's such a indian mother dialogue you know when you will have a child you will know what i'm going through or what i'm talking about and uh, yeah okay you know mom it's fine you know uh, and you have that thing and you know there is a moment when you uh, are with your infant and the enormity of it hits you and how motherhood takes you to essentially what it does is it takes you to the darkest places that you have okay so you cannot escape it there is no space to hide or you know glide through it or you know pretend it's not there it's you it's all of you out there raw and you navigate it as well as you are as comfortable you know navigating all of that there is no separating one from the other so while you're in that moment and the enormity of it hits you and you realize that this person did all of this for you you know like suddenly it's like a missing piece of the puzzle it all makes sense now you know so i think that's uh, that's one definitely one part um, of my experience of course continue to have very different views on many political things on many you know um ideas it's also a struggle of you know um what are you trying to do exactly <laughs> and that is the funniest thing that i find where you know uh, my mom will be like you know she does something in mental health something there's so there's no you know uh kind of um it's hard right it, they it, it comes from a different place and you know I, of course with all due respect to that so i think these are some very important pointers you brought up that i think are so important to uh think about as well and what i we've got you here to talk about and you know this is why as soon as i realized that i want to have you on here these two topics which is motherhood and pleasure or motherhood and sexuality are kind of seen as almost separate right so dying to know what are your views about these two so called very different universes uh, can they coexist what what is your take on that yeah pina like uh, i mean firstly like thank you for sharing you know your experience with uh, you know motherhood both as being like a daughter and a mother and i think uh, yeah i'm i i i've also heard this so much also from like friends who have children themselves that now they finally realize what their mom was on about and uh, you know also like a heightened degree of gratitude and connection um, and all of that so like i don't think it's a cliche i think it's a cliche for a reason um but uh you know and the second uh 
piece that you asked, which is like, is is motherhood really so antithetical uh, to pleasure? And uh, does it really mean like you know sacrificing of uh, one's one's identity and one's um, journey or one's just just curiosity about about pleasure? I think like that's that's such a such an important exploration. Um, I think like also in a in a cultural context where. Uh, like once a person becomes a parent, especially once a person becomes a mother, like their identity then is whether or not they want it, right? Like whether or not there is something that they even like not all moms care very deeply about being a mom, for instance, right? Like that is one thing that they may not be really great at. And that's, that's I mean, that is what it, it is, what it is. And you know, they're navigating it uh, however they can. Also this also, it's it's true that not not all people are uh, ready, or not all people should be parents. And I think like this is something this is like you know my hot take, which I I I, I don't think everybody should be a parent. Um, it it has to be like a very mindful choice that one makes. It's not just a natural like course of life. It's not just like a relationship escalator. It has to be like something that one actively chooses and. You know, and 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 to to on top of that, like the way society also perceives mothers, especially, is just as like these 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 uh, you know entities that are there to serve uh, the family, right? And and to sort of fulfill the needs of the family, and to to be that to be that person that is that is uh, essentially the nurturer, the caregiver. You can be all of that and still like seek pleasure, right? You can be all of that and still have. Um, you know, still want to practice pleasure, and and I think the the issue also becomes like especially with with motherhood is that there there also comes this disconnection between like what is it that you know one things is pleasurable in general in life like forget like sexual pleasures for a moment um, you know mothers are to completely asexual obviously I don't know how they have had children right like. Like mothers are completely asexual. They're not supposed to like dress sexy. They're not supposed to have any sexual desires. They're not supposed to like want to flirt. If they do, then they are like, then there is a different kind of gaze with which they are viewed. Um, So, so only like, I mean, only like for the pornification is, is what like, you know, a mom can be, uh, you know, a sexual being for, but otherwise like it has to completely like go away with the, with the birth of their, um, you know, child. So it is ridiculous, like the, the way that it works. And and there's there's also, if not like, you know, active discouragement and, you know, if not like active incentives being given for not seeking one's pleasure, for uh, being self-sacrificial, it's not like in most, you know, contexts, it's not encouraged. It's not something that one really, you know, sits and thinks about or talks about. Um, so, I mean, I think like one also, um, you know, not, is not just discouraging sexual pleasures and, and, you know, sexual explorations, but also social pleasures and, and just like things that, you know, are like, like, why should, for instance, you know, a mom have to sacrifice a bag of chips, like it's such a small thing, but why does she have to sacrifice if she, she wants to, she wants to right? like no judgment, like, my mom does that. But why does she have to why can't she like hide a bag of chips from her child and eat it? Right? Like, why can't she also like, you want to seek that kind of pleasure for us for herself um or to like skip something that has to do with uh you know her child or her husband or you know whoever um in that context and you know really uh take care of herself and like uh or, or do something that is that is just for the sake of it like binge 
on a reality television show like where are where is the space for these um, you know pleasures that are outside of like this productive context of like what pleasure should look like um, as well right so um and also i hate the term guilty pleasures like what does that even mean um so so yeah so i think uh, there the definitely exists like this social cultural um you know idea that like pleasure is something that is not there in the dictionary of motherhood uh, you're not a good mother again like this whole uh, concept of like good mother bad mother which is very prevalent um you know is is uh, uh yeah it, it, if you're a good mother you're definitely not someone who's thinking too much about uh, her own pleasure um and 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 that is why like i i also see you know like um, women especially like the women of let's say my mom's generation and my grandmom's generation rebel against this in very interesting ways like like uh, so i'm i'm a south indian and uh, you know my mom wears like these gaudy gold jewelry right like this big gold jewelry and this like sarees with like gold adorned everywhere um and and i see like you know them rebel against that sort of um you know structural disincentivization of pleasure um in in these interesting ways and um yeah i i view that as 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 rebellion as well what what do you think absolutely i think so many so many thoughts uh, you know so glad we are talking about this <laughs> the the creative ways in which our mothers and grandmothers have gone against the system really needs so much more uh, said uh, and documented around it because it's such it's so fascinating right uh, because one of the other things that comes to my mind is uh, i have a friend who shared this that even to wear a set of jewelry right um given the structure etc there has to be so much prefacing i don't really like it that person is saying that that's going to look nice on me and you know it's a family thing and there is like a 20 minute prefacing versus i like this i'm going to wear this because i like it not because there is social you know pressure not because uh someone asked me to but and especially this idea of once you cross a certain age you cannot want desire to wear you know all of these things you know there is this saying right uh pudi godi lal lagam right which is essentially after you cross a certain age you can't like you know which is also very connected to being a mother right because again a comments like okay you're a mom now you shouldn't wear short dresses uh you know and like you said and there are two extremes either you're the asexual gotten pregnant i don't know how <laughs> without being sexual or uh, you're the milf who has only one purpose so it's a either or there is no you know coexistence of both of these types of uh, <laughs> persons right and definitely the how can you have a bag of chips by yourself without sharing <laughs> like blasphemous you know your pleasure must come from someone else's pleasure there is no pleasure of your own and if it is it's like that's literally <laughs> the summary to it whatever form it is you know how do you kind of you know right and that good mother bad mother is such a thing right and i am glad you bring up because when we talk about pleasure again there is such a notion of um 
sexual pleasure and such less uh, talking about the other simple kinds of pleasure that really get uh you know difficult after a point and i think i talk a lot about this because this is something i feel very strongly even for pregnant women right the list of things that are forbidden just go a mile long many with very good reason there is no doubt about it but there is so much fear around it it's like even a drop of it if it touches your tongue all hell is going to break loose a single drop of that so called you know forbidden it's not like that there is you know some way it's not just and it all from that moment becomes about what's good for the child and then again and again i try to insert the question and what's good for the mom so if the mom wants to have something as you call your favorite word which is guilty pleasure once in a while so that she feels satisfied and for no reason except for just feeling pleasure maybe um something with msg gives me a little pleasure in life you know it, it you know uh, a kind of placates my taste buds in a way nothing else will fair enough you know it's not going to is all hell going to break loose am i going to be a bad mother right and existing with that and isn't that what the entire mom guilt industry stands on you know everything is sacrifice and there is no place for pleasure in sacrifice right it's two ends of a spectrum so what are you even talking about right so yeah that's that's where i'm at with that no totally veena and i think it's so important like you very rightly said that uh, said right which is one uh, this, this notion that like a mum only has to derive pleasure from others pleasure and cannot necessarily like even view like everyday practices as pleasure which is why it becomes so important to even like reframe the way that we're uh you know looking at just things that we're doing on a day to day basis um and to also like become a pleasure practitioner in general to like be curious about uh something like one's own sexuality one's own sensuality um you know one's own body especially like given that there is no conversation around it um or or like you know women in general are supposed to like exist only for the pleasure of men right like in this very binary understanding of the world like that's 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 exactly how it is so um it's so important to like reframe some of our experiences as pleasurable experiences to call them pleasure to actively make time for pleasure and to also like practice them in social situations so that we're also able to advocate for ourselves and our needs in sexual situations as well um, so like one of the activities that i you know do with uh, women that i work with is making a yes no and maybe list right basically to look at everything in your life uh ranging from you know vegetables to like fruits to tv shows to activities that you like to do to of course like sexual things that you may uh like or dislike so basically looking at yes no and maybe uh, of course these are things that these are experiences that one has but then to also like look at one's body you know explore various parts of her body and see what is a yes no and maybe for us what kind of pressure is a yes no maybe for us what's a temperature what's a texture uh that that we like or we don't like and and i know that this is this is a very uh like you know black and white sort of understanding of it but that that seems to be a space yeah so i understand that this is a very black and white way to even look at pleasure um but i find that like women haven't even they, they've never sat down and taken a stock of uh like what are things that they actually enjoy doing and what are things that they don't really enjoy doing but maybe they have to do 
uh, what are some hard no's and what are some hard yeses for them so this uh, concept like pleasure also comes like a very important part of our pleasure journeys are also being able to set boundaries right um and this concept of boundaries doesn't seem to exist uh within their uh, you know idea of like how they're navigating their lives uh, even so um yeah so i think like maybe even starting you know at this place where we even acknowledge where we even build an awareness of what is pleasurable for us um is so crucial um and to also reframe some of the things that we are doing on a day to day basis as pleasurable or not pleasurable is also so important to to further build that awareness of uh, you know who we are as uh, in our pleasure journey and what is it that we are seeking right absolutely i think that makes so much sense and it's so connected to this entire system as well right which is just not like the pleasure i i love the word you use pleasure practitioner and that's just something we're not conditioned to be right because most of our conditioning has been the opposite of you know how to not seek pleasure and how that is placed as something superior virtuous you know so on and so forth you can have the adjectives that you may think of right um and how that does weigh in right to so many experiences i mean to the ex, ex- stream of it of course it goes into sexual dysfunction later on because it's like you, the minute you're married it, it the, the switch has to flip right and that's not how it works right it's it's a very slow ramped up kind of a thing right so i mean that's a whole other part of it but and then you look at something like for example um going through pregnancy and childbirth uh which comes with its own set of biological changes comes with its own its own set of you know psychosocial changes who you are in society has changed who you are in your family has changed your interpersonal dynamics with your partner has changed right and in that context how do you think you know what is really happening over there in that context what is your take on the sexuality of not just the uh, person who's given birth but also the person who's a partner who's maybe not really biologically given birth but has been there in the process yeah i think uh, you know firstly to uh, the issue of all of this you know with all of this for me really is that we view sex or we view, we view like sexual behavior so sexual thoughts or sexual exploration as something that is inherently dirty or shameful right like because there exists that notion of like what sex is or like what like enjoying one's body uh, is right like or what even like looking at our body is like in in its nakedness uh like what that even is like all of this is dirty all of this is supposed to be hidden you're supposed to shrink yourself uh you're not supposed to take up space in that manner so when when there exists you know some uh, this, this kind of um, you know a structure um w- w- which also um encourages for us to also suppress that side of us right and and, and which which also um encourages for us to um start viewing ourselves as well as as people who are above this this is somehow like beneath us um and and as a as a parent especially as a mother not so much as a father like the father still i think gets you know some leeway there um you know uh, you you are supposed to you know completely stop 
uh, you're above this you know you, it, it's not if you if at all you're having sex like you said it's for the pleasure it's for like doing your um, you know marital duty in in our cultural context so um, you know it, it also comes from the way that we view sex in general the way that, the way that um, even even between like two consent, consenting adults the way that sex is viewed the way that relationships the way that romance is viewed um, it is something uh, you know that 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 one definitely has to uh, you know call out as much as i'm against it uh, when when one talks about um, you know this this uh, sort of like sudden disconnect that also happens so like there's supposed to be this you know to to begin with you're supposed to be someone who's not sexual at all who's not curious about sex at all who's not curious about their own body who doesn't want to be sexy at all and then there has to be like this one period for the sake of like birthing a child you're supposed to be that right but like only towards your uh, husband and then post that it's all supposed to go away so like like you like you very rightly said you're supposed to have this switch that goes on and off um and that switch is supposed to only like go on for a particular period in life but that that to not really for yourself that to not really for your own sexual fulfillment and enjoyment but for the sake of um you know you know somebody somebody else or for the sake of like a larger purpose um you know of manch ko aage badhana hai so so it 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 comes from um, you know you know that space so so definitely like the larger uh, context of societal shame and stigma against sex is something that one one needs to speak of and and also like you know uh, for sure it impacts like one's partner as well right especially like in this uh, cis heteronormative uh, marriages uh, i mean that are most prevalent that are also the only kind of marriages that are legal uh, so so even with, within those marriages you also like there is the the husband in that marriage is somehow supposed to be uh, on all the time is is somehow supposed to like want sex all, all the time right or or is somehow uh, supposed to be the more the, the person with more libido uh, in in the uh, relationship which is directly linked to their masculinity which is which is directly linked to their manhood so there is also no scope for let's say something as life altering as a childbirth having happened to like a, a couple and then for the man to now like sit with himself and like renegotiate what sex means or what sex looks like or you know where his desire is at um uh, you know and, and and i mean like with with this modern idea of parenting like where hopefully um you know and the correct idea of parenting where like hopefully both partners in the in the relationship are are equally contributing um and equitably contributing to the to the uh, nurturing of of the child i think like that is not something that is that is factored in um either uh and and like there's also like i mean yes monogamy is uh, you know kind of relationship that is meaningful for many people and um, you know like for those of uh, as for whom uh, you know who resonate with monogamy and who who uh, you know want that kind of a relationship want to practice that kind of a relationship absolutely right like one can do that but this idea that like within a marriage like a husband and uh, a wife are supposed to be like everything for each other right like every single need uh, of ours is supposed to be like fulfilled um by each other if it's a good relationship then that's how it will be and one cannot seek like other kinds of pleasures or other kinds of relationships um you know outside of 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 the marriage i i think that is also like causing you know uh, like where is the there is the 
space for you know one to like continue to uh, explore what it means for them to be in love with their partner uh, maybe but like where is that where is that space where is that conversation is there also space for saying that you know i'm i'm not in love with a particular person anymore the way i used to be or i'm not attracted to them the way i used to be or or maybe like i i at, at this point in time i uh, there are two partners with like different uh, libido right like different sex drives within the relationship how does one navigate that um, it's not an inherent feeling on either part uh, that they are they're not on the same page in that sense and also like it's almost impossible to be on the same page at all times anyway um so so yeah these these are some of my ramblings on sort of how i i feel like you know motherhood and uh, our, our experiences as sexual beings and also like uh, what it might uh, feel like in in, a, in for a partner and in their body uh, yeah what, what do you think veena like um, in, your, in your professional and personal experience what has it been like so you know the thing that comes to my mind immediately and, and i relate uh, so much to a lot of the things that you're talking about um, again uh, i think our vantage points are slightly different i come from inside the cishet <laughs> monogamous marriage uh, and you know uh, you're also so obviously there's a different vantage point like you said um it's very interesting what uh, when you research about this what comes up so what one of the, one of the thing that stood out for me is that the biological changes is not just in the person who's given birth uh, but also the partner in the way that they also experience a dip in libido when they connect to the baby so what uh, research has now found is that uh, especially if it's uh, in the case of a father just skin to skin with the baby will lower their testosterone overall and came that came, that came with another uh, sharing which was that apparently good relationships will have a dip in the amount of sex they have during that time and that's a sign of a healthy relationship okay i know this and i brought it up because i'm really curious to know what your take on that uh, would be on that research would be but that's definitely one thing and then i'll tell you the other thing that came to my mind so maybe we just kind of you know yeah i think vina it's so fascinating that uh, and and i think it also logically uh make sense as well right like uh, i mean very random example but like i work with a lot of uh, young people in boarding schools and and i often see that they are very starved for affection because affection also is in the casual ways in which you know our parents our siblings or you know our friends around us uh you know may express love and touch us uh in in like touch immediately like needn't evoke a sexual image uh in our mind right uh, so so yeah in all those ways so so i i do uh, see like them being very uh, affection starved and touch starved in in that sense and also like there is something that a lot of us experienced during the pandemic where we felt uh, very touch starved because we were, we didn't have that kind of casual contact that we did we had with our loved ones uh you know the ones that we weren't necessarily living with uh previously so i I'm, i'm assuming that something of that sort could also extend to like excessive touching or so to say like like where you have to constantly be in contact with with your child right like you you need to um if nothing like help them survive for first few years of their life they're completely dependent on you so the, there is an increase uh, sort of connection uh, touch connection there so i'm sure there is um you know uh, i mean there is some logic to it 
but um, you know, I I also like feel like that we do need to like when we talk about uh, you know banishing the binaries or breaking the binaries, right? Um, I think that that needs to extend to like we also said previously to like a good mother, bad mother, good feminist, bad feminist, and also like healthy and unhealthy relationships. Um, I, I mean, I, I think these uh, research researchers like this also tend to be a little polarizing in, um, you know, like the way that the, the findings are also like structured. And, and I think like I will, I will uh, defer to your uh, sort of um, take on how like narrative practices and how, you know, lived experiences are, are so important. So, I mean, if, if the experience of the person within the relationship is that, if, that it's not feeling healthy, then that is something that one must uh, have space to communicate and navigate. Um, but it's it's definitely like a really fascinating, uh, you know, research and it's definitely really interesting. And I um, also wonder if, if this was, if this is one of the reasons like because uh, of the very gendered nature of like the reproductive labor uh, that existed, let's say, and still continues to exist, of course, but like was even more prominent, let's say, in our uh, grandparents' generation, for instance. I, I wonder if, if that is also one of the reasons why like there would be so many children, like child after child after child after child. I wonder if that's also you know, where, where it comes from and, you know, the increased sort of sharing of responsibility um, and, and especially like reproductive labor, would that also mean that like that, you know, is that some, some sort of like, does it also have to do something apart from birth control, of course, and like women being able to um, advocate for their own uh, uh, choices. But I, I wonder if this also has some kind of a relation. <laughs> I, I guess I mean it's it's a, it's a absolutely valid wondering. It makes sense, uh, yeah. uh, you know. It absolutely makes sense because what I found interesting in the research is that there is a direct connection with how much skin to skin uh, the father gets with the, the baby, hmm. right? And that having an effect. And like you said, when it's gendered, there is very less of that, very less scope of that, you know. So you wouldn't have that play out. Absolutely. Um, and I think this is you know, and I always look at it as. Uh, maybe again, this is my therapist lens, but from the way people describe things, you can tell what do they think is the worst possible outcome. And that can mm -hmm. tell a lot about uh, the take, right? So if, for example, uh, and that also segues into my next question, one of the things that stood for me uh, while I was pregnant is a, a, a particular doctor commenting that, okay, now is the time to keep a tight watch on your husband and ensure he doesn't philander. Mm. right and mm. it's interesting because that tells me what is the worst possible outcome according to you in this situation mm. Mm. and then clearly the worst possible thing that can happen is that you know there's going to be probably a third and of course you know we can uh, go into and it's all you know a lot of interesting points of view on what that is and obviously from a therapist point of view it's always a question of you know uh, looking at it from an from a healing point of view right and what is it talking about and what is it telling you rather than condemning it as good bad moral immoral make it or it's so individual like like mm. you said lived experience is more important uh you know so it's so individual about whether that feels like you could it's the worst possible thing and it's a deal breaker or that feels like you know okay i need to learn something from this and go back and fix that right it can be and both are valid right both experiences mm -hmm. are valid but it's so interesting and how that connects and what i want to ask you is how do you what is the role that you think the medical fraternity plays 
in uh, sexuality during this period because again there's so much of uh, interface right with them during this entire period and i'm specifically referring to pregnancy childbirth new parents you know and do you think they hold a role or is there something that we can do there what are your views on you know that oh for sure vina uh, i think like that's that's so important for us to um like if, if the medical professional and also let's face the facts right like uh, doctors are pedestalized uh in in our country like if if doctor says something it's the word of the god and that is not to say that doctors don't face violence that is not to say that you know doctors uh, all medical professionals are bad like none of that but uh, there's always room for improvement in every profession and they also has to evolve uh, with with time so uh, i i think like the question is brilliant because if you are constantly in touch with this medical professional and there is also this uh sort of not just in um terms of like the mum's experience in the situation or the parents experience in the situation but also like the experience uh, of like the family and the other structures in place right like uh, the caregivers who are likely to take a doctor's word like unfortunately that that's how it seems to be um who are likely to take a doctor more seriously than they would uh the mum who might be uh, talking about like her needs or what is it that she would like yeah so uh, it becomes so important for us to uh, also recognize that while they might be doctors right they're also like a product of this society so they would also have um, maybe uh, not as stigmatized but maybe also as stigmatized if we were if we are to go by the experiences that you know people have had with gynecologists and the kind of conversations that you know myself included um have had experienced so um you know it, it becomes very important for us to um you know train the medical fraternity sensitize the medical fraternity as well like not to blame them but at the same time to say that hey it's important for instance to discuss the touched out feeling uh that we that we previously spoke of wherein you know that that kind of overstimulation that happens when that constant touching is happening may also result the kind of body image changes uh you know uh, that that one may experience uh you know during pregnancy uh after childbirth and so on and then what that looks like in 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 the relationship and um uh, you know i i my uh friend got pregnant in the uk and uh, she she was saying as to how like each time uh, she would go and visit her gynec they would always check about her mental health as well is that something that is a common practice in in our uh, country no right um and and also like you know something like let's say breastfeeding and arousal and and how breastfeeding can can actually uh, result in orgasms as well for some people like th- there is again such a taboo subject uh, which can which should be discussed uh, in 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 a medical uh, setting because there are conversations around the pain aspect there are conversations around you know like uh, the right way there are lactation experts who are talking about let's say how one must breastfeed or you know the right way to do it or how how one can make it easier on themselves but like to also talk about like the pleasure uh, piece of it right like that becomes that becomes so important and w- which is why like there is again so much shame and stigma against this as well which is which is something like as normal 
and natural as let's say pleasure that one experiences during breastfeeding um it happens because of like the hormonal fluctuations that that are happening in one's body right like the oxytocin and the prolactin that one's body um is releasing oxytocin in fact is you know popularly known as the love hormone it's the same kind of hormone that got one uh, you know pregnant in the first place um which which then which is also released in the process of of breastfeeding um where one might also experience you know similar kind of uh, emotions that doesn't mean that it is a sexual feeling towards their child necessarily right that sort of how um, you know dark or that sort of how um, sort of gross it becomes um, as opposed to like seeing that okay this this exists and this is something that is happening so how can one actually study it and how can one actually use the power of it to make breastfeeding a more comfortable um experience because like think about the things that one experiences when they are you know turned on right like they will like for instance they may experience that their nipples are more erect which is actually a great thing for uh you know breastfeeding uh, one may also uh, feel like more connected with their body more present in the moment um so so all those things are actually like you know they actually serve the process of of breastfeeding as well and uh, you know i was actually reading this uh, research we now obviously there wasn't a lot about it um the very few sp- the sparse articles here and there uh, nothing that's being studied the way it should be but uh, it said basically how like women who are more comfortable with their sexuality women who are more comfortable with their bodies will also find breastfeeding a slightly more easy or a slightly more uh, you know fulfilling experience uh than than one does uh, otherwise and and i think like it's so ironic because like the breasts have been so sexualized um and now they they suddenly just have to become these uh, you know feeding factories uh for uh, milk feeding factories for their uh, babies and uh, like their, their entire uh, sexualness must suddenly disappear or it must only come up in the context of um you know their their partner i think that is uh, so so even conversations like this uh you know that a medical professional can uh, can potentially have which also like brings me to the point that it can't just be that one gynecologist there also has to be like a system like a uh, you know system of care within within those spaces uh something that can help you know recognize like let's say mental health professionals and which is why i love you know what you're trying to do veena the your initiative which is basically working with like maternal mental health right and to recognize those signs to explore these nuances and these taboo subjects often times uh, to really place the mom and to really place motherhood at and and her experience of of her motherhood at the center and to uh, you know then allow for her and then to like enable her to navigate it in a way that is pleasurable right for her um, is something that is that is so important and and also like i think um, yeah what also needs to stop like going back to what i uh, started with which is uh, viewing every single thing that a doctor says as just the word of god it's okay if you're not comfortable with you know a particular gynecologist or a particular doctor if you're not comfortable with what they're saying maybe you like one part of the care that they're giving you but uh, there is another part of their care or like maybe there's judgment that is coming up um you can either call them out you're well within your rights to call them out you're well within your rights to ask a doctor to back off um you're also uh, you know 
allowed to seek second opinion third opinion speak with people um you know and again like uh, what is very beautiful in this context is also like the kind of experiences even like our understanding of postpartum depression for instance really came from lived experiences especially in the uh, you know indian context like that's really where it came from it came from stories of of people right so to also like um i i see like mum groups which are uh, you know such supportive and thriving communities so like it it's so important to also resort to other systems of care which is not only reliant on the care that a healthcare professional uh, might be providing you uh, so so yeah and and to also reframe some of this from from a, a pleasure lens is so important right i think you've brought up so many important things all together and uh, you just weave it all together so effortlessly it's it's really amazing <laughs> but yeah absolutely i think so many of these are so full of and i think the one thing that keeps the word that keeps coming back to me is shame and i think there's just so much shame around all of this uh, and one thing i'd say is that especially with uh, what you shared about breastfeeding like you said it's it's basically a biological response you know and how can yeah. one one be responsible for a biological response as much as you wouldn't i mean can i yell at you for sweating i cannot right technically i cannot you yeah. sweat if you yeah. sweat, you yeah. know yeah. probably yelling is going to make it worse if anything you know yeah. so you know understanding it from those points of view and also looking at how all of these very micro experiences add on to become this whole isolating experience for the mother that you know here are these 9 out of 10 things i cannot say aloud and the only thing i'm allowed to say is i love my baby i love my baby i love my baby mm-hmm. yes it is true we're not denying the fact that you love your child or that that you know this experience can be pleasurable but we're also talking about the nine things that cannot be spoken of mm-hmm. should not be spoken of you know and i think that is so important that's why you know of course this entire initiative trying to talk to them trying to bring in all of those lived experiences right and i think you you've kind of weaved it all together so beautifully um i also want to say a word here for the medical fraternity they're doing so much you know and there mm. is no um i mean absolutely no it's not lost on me how much of a complicated or difficult job this is uh, much with navigating you know no it's not just about your skill right you're navigating this whole other array of things uh, mm. you know you're dealing with the family you're dealing with you know uh, probably if you're in a hospital the administration there's so many things going on right which is why um th- i know of so many professionals who want to do better and again and again i also come back to this other issue which is like is there enough training is there enough resources we have for these professionals at these intersections uh, be it you know uh, not just the gynecologist you go to uh, but maybe the guy you go to for a sonography every other month right as a pregnant yeah. person you yeah. go you'd go through those experience and you have these intersections but has yeah. there been any resources being provided to them as part mm. of their training right so they're doing from you know from that point of view and also looking at that even for mental health professionals right is there been specific training around this uh, right like you said it comes from lived experience so how do you bring it all together right so that's a, again another big missing piece uh, that we want to get into hope to you know bring on more of uh, but to all the you know uh, persons listening to this who want to who are inspired by your 
pleasure uh, practitioner point of view and want to bring that into their life do you have anything to say to them how can they be pleasure practitioners in their own lives yeah i think uh, you know the way uh, that that uh, i'd i'd explore pleasure is to like first set the intention right like what is why is it that you're curious about pleasure and it can be something as simple as hey i heard veena's amazing podcast and uh, i it's made me curious about about these different things or you know i saw something in the tv and it really turned me on right like it can be anything so but to really set an intention um i think often what happens is when we really look at mapping our barriers and enablers when it comes to pleasure right you will find that people are so like there are so many barriers that exist um there are so many barriers like especially with sexual pleasure and especially like as a you know a mother especially as a parent like there are so many barriers that exist uh and and when it comes to the enablers there are so few um you know often like the one uh, enabler that people are usually able to point out is their vibrator like like beyond that like there isn't there isn't much that one one can say in terms of an enabler because like your time is now being split uh, split your money your energy everything like all these like resources uh, and the opportunity cost always seems to be your pleasure right uh, so so really like to um, you know a, a set an intention and to like keep also going back to that intention um, as to like what is it why is it that we want to um, you know practice pleasure uh, secondly to really make sure that uh, you set yourself up for success there is no need for you to you know uh, right now like try, try everything in the world like everything you see let's say in an in an adult film it's not necessarily something that you need to uh, necessarily like try out um but to like try something small even if it comes to like really incorporating pleasure in your life uh if like saying that oh i will uh, for instance explore my body is feeling a bit overwhelming right now but what is really possible is i will enjoy 15 minutes of doing nothing every day or like you know uh, even 5 minutes let's start even smaller 5 minutes of guilt free me time if we can even start there um you know and like to to keep building on that let's set ourselves up for success because we're not going to, let's be realistic we're not going to go from like 0 to 100 especially when there are so many barriers and there are also like so many reservations that one has um against it um the the third thing uh, to do would be to also like connect with your senses right to like the thing with pleasure is also like it gets compounded the more senses that you involve so uh, you know sight smell uh, you know your touch your uh, taste your sense of uh, hearing like the more you the, the different kinds of things that you involve in a pleasurable activity the more pleasurable uh, it will become so even if it is like you know lighting a candle before you go to uh, you know sleep and putting moisturizer on yourself and like listening to you know sensual music as you do it something as simple as this to like get you started on that on that journey is is fantastic like connecting with your senses is is a great idea um the next thing is to like really make it a part of your routine i think we often try to add things uh, to our routine and we forget that like in order to add something we also need to subtract something so like what is it that one is subtracting from uh, their life and like how is it that pleasure can actually become a seamless part of their routine right like uh, so even if you are setting these intentions for yourself um, and you are saying that okay here are things that i find pleasurable and here are things like let's i'm curious about exploring my body this way or you know doing this um 
you know allowing yourself to um, find time within your routine to be able to do that and allowing yourself to really fail at it i think i keep coming back to this because this shouldn't be another thing that you feel like you need to excel at or there is a right way to do it or there is a wrong way to do it no there is only the way that your body and your mind is responding to it in the moment and it feels good or it uh, you know doesn't feel great or it you know feels uh, you know bad however like just being present with that um is is what uh, what is important and i think like um you know also like conversations like often we feel like it has to be at an action level like you know when especially with sexual pleasure it's so action 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 it doesn't have to be that like even if you're you know starting with something like thinking about it right even if you're starting with something like visualizing it in your head like um or even watching something right or if you're not someone who's like there's a lot of ethical porn that exists but if you're someone who's not necessarily comfortable with watching it uh, maybe to listen to an erotic uh, you know podcast maybe to like read some erotica uh, th- that is out there finding something that is like you know similar a bit similar to like your context and finding something where like your body or your uh, sort of like you know uh, experiences are represented i think that can also be really exciting so even if you're not ready to like act on things yet to even just like allow for yourself to uh, you know think about it to allow for yourself to read about it uh, and i think like the character that comes to mind um, is a uh, Uh, Ratna Patak Shah from uh, Lipstick Under My Burka, where like you know she really allows for herself to like fantasize, right? She really allows for herself to like read all these you know, dirty um, uh, novels and really like explore it like from that space. So you're also allowed to explore it from you know that space. It doesn't have to become action if like action feels uh, threatening right now. Um, and to also like I mean I, I started this uh, answering this question by saying like you know vibrators are great, like sex toys are. Um, amazing uh, and i think like uh, like you also spoke about like there are certain biological changes that do happen to one's body so it's whether it is like you know uh, how much uh you know lubricant our body like natural lubricant our body is producing how lubricated do we feel while engaging or while thinking even right and um you know to also like view them as assistive devices right like to also just view them as apparatus that makes our life easier um like i, I mean vina uh, in, in an ideal world you and i would be doing this in person at a studio right but like the pandemic is not going to allow that so we've like resorted to zoom to make our lives easier and to record this podcast so can you also view let's say something like lubricant or let's say something like you know stimulant um, or let's say you know a sex toy as something that just me is there to make our lives easier just to make you know pleasure a bit more accessible uh, for us so uh, you know if, uh, allowing for those kind of uh, you know it, it doesn't have to just come from within it can also come from uh outside and and i think like the something that is very important for me is like in in this culture where we're often told that validation is something that one must not seek it must be your locus locus of self your sense of self must like exist within you well sure like in an ideal world but especially like in a relationship and in a sexual relationship like you may want certain kind of validation from your partner or from yourself or from your friends like it's you're allowed to ask for that right you're allowed to ask you know you're allowed to explore that in that way um 
and i i think like often uh, you know what you said I, i see patterns in everything that we're talking but like what you said about modeling like the kind of like uh, affection that you would like to receive the kind of let's say um, you know compliments that you would like to receive or advances that uh, you would like to receive there is something that you can also model uh within within your relationship to also encourage your partner to um you know be- behave in that manner with you and 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 of course like it goes without saying that you know uh, communication and care uh before care during care after care are all a part of like um you know this is the cornerstone of like any kind of whether with ourselves or with another person this is the cornerstone of all of this um and and i think uh very important for us to also just keep an open mind and and i i mean that not just in 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 uh relation to being curious about what is coming up for us and just like being experimental but also like viewing like non normative pleasures right like something like uh, arousal uh, or orgasm during breastfeeding or something like um you know looking at like bdsm practitioners and like is there something there that is interesting for you maybe you don't necessarily um you know you're not necessarily someone who enjoys like spanking or you know the, the more uh, you know that kind of thing but maybe you're someone who enjoys dirty talking and role playing so what is it like that is beyond the norms that is also exciting for you whether or not you're allowed uh, you know you're comfortable to invite your partner into that equation yet for yourself like what is it that is fun for you what is it that is um exciting for you um yeah i think in these ways one can uh, begin to just start reclaiming uh their their uh sexuality and and just like reclaiming um you know themselves as as a as a sexual being and and uh, yeah to also become pleasure practitioners uh, i suppose wow that sounds so amazing there's like i i feel like i have ton of homework myself also to go back with and i think uh it's so um important because even being in the space you still kind of you know uh need to come back to the basics and i think that's how beautifully you've simplified it it's not some very complicated you know saying you need to embark on this very long journey and you know it's something very simple uh you know just one particular sense and focusing on that i really love that i think i work a lot with senses and body in the work that i do as well and i think it's so connected it's so you know absolutely uh connected to it um i i don't feel like saying bye <laughs> but we are kind of at the end of uh, our conversation and it's always such a delight talking to you bringing so many interesting perspectives uh, you articulate really complex ideas so simply uh, you know almost like it feels like it's so absolutely understandable and you know yeah that that makes complete absolute sense and uh, i'm so glad uh, you do what you do also i i thoroughly enjoy your social media page uh, by the way it's it's just really one of my happy places to go and just you know uh, see stuff and it's 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 such a pleasure to have that in the social media space i think uh, you know uh, yeah but thank you just for being there being you uh, and for obliging us and coming on to our show no thank you so much veena and you know that i'm a big fan of your your work as well and i really believe in it and stand by it and i'm so uh, glad that your audience and your listeners have the space to come back to as well um and 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 this resource to just feel a little less alone in something as daunting and as beautiful and magical and all those good things uh as as motherhood so uh, yeah thank you so much for for having me over and for uh, inviting me to share my thoughts on on this topic thank you